Scholars Unbound is a bi-monthly podcast or video series that showcases the voices of scholars who know no boundaries when it comes to the pursuit of knowledge. You will hear insights from their experiences as international scholars and how these influence their research, hoping to inspire future scholars to be fearless, global, and unbound. I'm your host, Dalia Simangan. For this episode, I will be talking to Dr. Lemuel Toledano, another impressive Filipino scholar whom I crossed paths with and bonded with when I was a PhD student in Australia. Um, Lem was finishing his dissertation when I was just starting mine, so he became not just a good friend, but also a reliable mentor back then and I would say until now. Lem completed his PhD in business at the Australian National University in Canberra, where he has been living since 2012. He is now the director of Torrance Early Learning, an early childhood center in Canberra. I invited Lem to the show because I believe he can share with us some valuable insights about careers outside the so-called traditional path in academia, having decided to use and share his expertise to other aspects of learning. I'm really excited to talk to him today. So ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Dr. Lemuel Toledano. Thank you for the invitation, Dalia. It's nice to see you again, even if it's online. Right. So nice to see you too. So let's start with the first question. Given this ongoing pandemic that we are all experiencing in different ways. Um, I'm wondering what makes you occupied these days, whether it's work-related or maybe you picked up new hobbies. You may actually be surprised because some people like during the pandemic, most of them are probably working from home. They're not too busy and there were like changes in their uh, careers or their work. But in our case, Australian, the Australian government has actually uh, considered the industry that I'm currently working on, that we're working with, which is actually uh, the early childhood industry as an essential industry. So in our setting, even during the peak of the COVID, the pandemic here in Australia, we've been actually open. We've been busier than ever because, of course, the government uh, did not want... uh, Childcare or early learning center to shut down during this time because, of course, the frontliners and everyone who has worked were actually considered essential workers in Australia. So they were depending on us in terms of where they're going to put their um, children while they are working. And probably uh, the difference with other countries, especially uh, Asian countries, is that in the Australian setting, they don't have much extended families to rely on. So when they're working, it's very um, uh, dominant. It's a part of their culture that they actually put their children in childcare as early as probably you know, a few weeks or a few months. So we've been busy. Learning and education should not stop. So we continue to provide quality care and education to the children and our families, uh, despite the fact that there are some, you know, you also worry on your part with your, uh, on, uh, in terms of uh, your personal and well-being and uh, health as well and uh, the staff that you work with. Regardless, we know that this is part of our duty as educators, first and foremost. I'm sure this is very much appreciated by the families that, uh, that you serve and also by the Australian society in general. Speaking of learning, Lem, um, 
why did you choose to do your PhD in Australia? And related to that, um, what are the positive um, aspects of doing your PhD first at the University of New South Wales in Sydney, then later on at the Australian National University? First and foremost, uh, I've heard a lot of good things about Australia, not just in education, but uh, in general in terms of their culture, lifestyle, you know, things that you can see here. So I've, it's an attractive country to begin with. And uh, I was also thinking that uh, compared to our, our Asian uh, neighbors, Australia is not too far. It's just like less than an eight hours flight direct from Manila to Sydney or Manila to Melbourne. And yet, it's different. You know, the climate, the weather, the people that you see. So I was looking for something probably uh, unconventional or different from what I've had in the Philippines. So, but I was also considering considering that I don't want it to be too far. I still want to go back, you know, go home once in a while and, you know, be with my immediate family. Thus, that's one of the major considerations why I've chosen Australia. Second, I've, uh, I've met some people as well who've actually studied in Australia, in the different universities in Australia, and they've said a lot of good things. Because when I was still academic back in the Philippines, I had some former colleagues who have actually visited Australia either for short studies or for full programs. And they've given, like, positive, uh, they've given positive reviews about the country and their educational system. So I said, okay, why not? I think I should take that um, opportunity. And then third, but uh, again, one of the reasons as well is during that time, uh, I don't know if I will have <laughs> said it, but in all honesty, that, that, that the uh, country that I've uh, chosen for was also related to a previous relationship. Now that when you know we were planning, probably it's good to be in, in one country. So those are probably the three reasons why I've ended up studying in Australia. It's a combination of... Uh, luck, a bit of destiny, but also exploration of opportunities. I'm sure our uh, viewers and our listeners would also be interested in the challenges that you've encountered as a scholar overseas and how did you overcome those challenges? You know, I always consider that, you know, uh, being in a different country is always challenging. You don't experience it when you just visit for holidays. You spend three days, one week, because your focus is to enjoy. You are very much uh, distracted with uh, the tourist spots that you see or probably excited with uh, to meet people, food that you haven't tried before. But going to a country and you know that you're spending at least four years and you know when you take your PhD, you'll never know when you're going to do the data collection, if you'll get the chance to actually go back to have holidays or it will be like a straight one year, two years, three years, four years, that uncertainty actually usually uh, brings the first challenges in your journey for the PhD. Second is um, homesickness. I, I'm very close to my family and friends. So how did I cope with these uh, challenges? First is I tried looking at the positive things I see around. Australia is really a beautiful country. So I tried maximizing my first few months in Australia, not just studying, but probably to see what's around me, you know, to meet people around me, you know, to have that intention to actually discover th new things. 
because that would definitely distract me and you know for me to avoid feeling the home uh, being homesick okay uh, towards the latter part of my phd because you might think the challenges are only during your first year of course not after the homesickness of course you'll experience uh, uh, academic challenges, you know, emotional challenges, sometimes questioning your skills, your abilities, or questioning uh, was it right a good decision to leave your career back home when you were already good and yet you wanted more, you know what I mean? So sometimes there are some doubts about your decisions as well. And this is the next step of the challenge in my PhD journey. But I over, uh, I tried overcoming it as well and coping with it by accepting the reality that even though you're strong, you have weaknesses. Okay? Sometimes you might feel that you always need to stand tall and feel that you are strong, that you can face all the challenges. I, I think when I was taking PhD, I... I tried having a different uh, perspective, I have to accept that I need help, I need support. So I think that's one thing that you can cope with the challenges in your uh, journey with your PhD is to accept what areas or what aspects that you actually need help and support, whether coming for, from friends or professional support from the university or other organizations that you might be involved with. So that was towards the middle part of the PhD uh, journey. No? Towards the last year, the challenges would be, what's next? Now that you're finishing or you're almost finished, what would happen to your career? Are you staying here? Are you going back to the Philippines? Am I going back to the Philippines? Or should I consider taking, let's say, postdoc or other, or take job opportunities overseas, not in Australia, and experience more? It's sometimes, you know, when you have massive opportunities, it's also a problem because you don't know what to do. In other, probably other people might have the opposite. There, there's no opportunity after. So that's another way to gauge it as well. Whether it's more or it's less, wherever you are in the continuum, I feel it's still a challenge towards the end of the uh, PhD. This is an excellent overview of uh, your PhD journey from the beginning to the end. And I'm sure a lot of, uh, a lot of us also um, have the same experience experiences and there's one uh, one thing that you've mentioned that I wish our viewers and listeners would take away from this is when you said about the importance of asking for help um, yes and I think this is uh, um, especially when you are over overseas um, as you've mentioned about this feeling of um, homesickness you tend to um, have um, maybe an isolated version of yourself but it's really important to still connect with um, with uh, with our community, with fellow Filipinos probably, um, and and your fellow PhD students and all other uh, other groups of people, and um, I think this is very important for those who are planning to go overseas and do their um, graduate studies to keep in mind. That's right. It's it's very uh, I think uh, helpful to have your support group, whether personal friends or professional people helping you out. I think you can relate to this. Uh, when I was about to finish my PhD, when you started, I think towards the end of my year, almost every day we've been like, seeing each other, 
you know, just trying to catch up, trying to debrief ourselves from all the challenges that we are experiencing and all. And as I said, it's very helpful. It's beneficial to have those kind of uh, support, whether from fellow Filipinos or new friends that you've actually met in the journey, but you've considered close as well. Within our group in Canberra, um, Lem is known to have finished his PhD in a very short time frame and also without corrections when he, he submitted his um, dissertation. It would be interesting to know what your research is about and um, especially now that you are working outside academia and how do you translate um, your research to what you are doing? I think first and foremost, uh, again, it might be a combination of luck and a bit of, uh, I, I don't like to call it hard work, but probably balance in my PhD life. That's one of the reasons why I finished, not necessarily early, I was almost on time. While taking my PhD back at ANU, I tried not draining myself too much with academics. But don't get me wrong, I, there are a lot of uh, sleepless nights. I've slept in my office, you know this, no? Uh, I'll stay late at night and, you know, I'll just go home to quickly shower and go back. There were days that I've done those things. However, I am so proud that in my journey, especially towards my second and third year in PhD, I think I did not miss important events with, you know, in, in my family or with my friends. Because that gave me a motivation that if you can have fun, you know, those personal uh, relaxation, enjoyment, you have to balance that you owe to yourself as well that you are in Australia to finish your degree. So you have to balance it. You're having fun. Make sure you actually submit on time or finish what you're supposed to do. And that kind of balance gave me probably the right direction to finish the degree on time. When I was still in the Philippines as an academic, my focus was really into education. My idea was really to take a PhD as well in education. Okay, But long story short, a different opportunity uh, came in ahead of uh, the education degree. And then it was PhD in business, major in management, more on organizational behavior. It's a bit far with uh, uh, my past um, area or expertise. However, it's still management in general. So that was a bit of a, a tough decision for me to consider. Would I actually wait for another opportunity and really focus on education or take this uh, opportunity and expand or widen my horizon? So I have combined my background in education back in the Philippines and my management uh, degree here in Australia in order for me to actually uh, move forward and have a bit of progress in my career as a practitioner. Because a lot of our research uh, dealt with the dark side of management, particularly with the employer-employee relationship. I have used a lot of my research in terms of actual practice. So for example, I remember we had a research about uh, cyber-loafing behaviors, you know, why uh, employees actually use computers for personal use uh, and not for work. Why? You know, so the, what are the antecedents and then probably and, uh, impact of that? 
those kind of research i use it as well in our industry even if i'm ra i'm running now uh childcare centers we also use you know technology computers and before we didn't even have internet uh in our rooms i think when i started in the company because uh i remember the owner saying like oh they might use the internet you know facebook login instead of working with the children etc so i had to go back to my research i had to discuss with my boss you know what are the antecedents of cyber looking behavior how can we actually prevent it from uh happening or what is the major variable affecting it because in our research before we focus more on the self-control you know some injustices so there are some variables that i've spoken to uh, the owner and see is this happening in our company because this can actually help us decide if we will give them actually the wi-fi the internet access in the rooms you know to weigh whether they are using it for personal use or more for to actually uh, do research and help children I also want to emphasize at this point that Lem is a prolific scholar. This is him exemplifying the importance of connecting or uh, translating this vast knowledge that we produce in academia to something that can be really used in day-to-day -day, day -day life. That's correct. And uh, probably just to add, Dalia, after uh, I've been in practice now for about almost, I think, eight years because I finished my PhD in 2013 and right after uh, I started to becoming a practitioner. After that, I I was still able to publish, you know, a paper, uh, not necessarily really related to uh, education, but in management in general. So I had a paper about uh, cultural intelligence uh, in global teams, which I'm planning to extend. Uh, I've, I've been <laughs> trying to do it in the past two years now and we've uh, collected data more on working with uh, cultural intelligence of early childhood educators so in a sense my uh, knowledge and experience from the phd in terms of the you know subject matter as well and i and uh, topics i think i'm bridging it to the educational management setting and how i can further strengthen my practice in educational management through the different you know, variables and concepts I've learned in general OB, organizational behavior or management during my PhD years. Yeah. And do you also agree, Lem, that research productivity is not just measured by this publication in academic journals, but also your engagement with the communities outside the academia. You are uh, very much actively participating in um, uh, different uh, uh, events as guest speaker. So that is also one of your contributions, being an expert in your. Field. I think it's also you know sharing your, uh, what you've learned, sharing your experiences. When as of now, especially with the pandemic, I've had a number of uh, invitations from my former universities as well. I've been uh, helping my former colleagues to you know run their courses as a resource person, and the different topics. It will be either sim education sometimes it's early childhood sometimes it can be management in general which i believe you know i because i combine you know, what be, what i've had in terms of my practical experience plus the you know few researches publications i've done so i've i've been using it and then merging it when i do presentations for uh some students or even uh workers I'm sure, Lem, your generosity in your work and in uh, knowledge production um, um, 
it's obvious uh, among people uh, around you and um, perhaps your employer right now wouldn't want to let you go but i'm wondering what is your plan in terms of your I, career moving forward i am very fortunate as well because uh, i've grown in the company you know i uh, just to give you a bit of background because i've started in the company even prior my phd it was uh you know, I remember I was telling you the third challenge when you're about to finish your PhD, what's next? If I'm going back to the Philippines, staying in Australia, going overseas. And then one of the options that I saw was like, oh, my background is in education. Why not try to work in the field of education? And I started in the company as a casual educator. Now I'm uh, the educational leader and chief operation officer of the entire company and from one center we now have three centers and I've seen the second one to be built, the third one to be built. I am because the third one is still new. I'm the concurrent director as well of the third one. So probably in that uh, journey I'm very thankful with the opportunity that was given to me by my employer by the CEO, the chief uh, executive officer of the company, because first and foremost, she gave me the trust, okay, and the confidence that I can do this, I can manage this, even though uh, probably as, an, uh, as a Filipino academic with a background in education, I felt like, oh yeah, I can do it, I can manage it, and then of course I have a PhD, but Australia is still different. They lost the regulation in early childhood. I had to review again. There were courses that I've not taken in the Philippines. I had to catch up. To be honest with you, I don't know yet what's next for me. I, I'm still enjoying currently in my company because uh, I think primarily I'm given the, the opportunity to exercise the kind of leadership and management that I want to, you know, I am very much uh, into major decision making processes of the company. Okay, I always have a say in almost all the things in the com in the company. So, and I think that actually is more uh, important to me rather than a financial aspect. You might be receiving heaps of money, you know, heaps of uh, privileges and all. But if you are not internally motivated, meaning you, you cannot use your skill, you're just like a puppet or you are under a bureaucracy, I think that is so difficult. I can see those literature that I've been studying, researching about leadership happening in actuality. So what else can I ask for? No? I'm also telling my boss, to be honest, that probably after 10 years being in the company, I need to grow again. I need to expand and widen things that I might not be able to uh, get from the company or I, we need to give other educators the opportunity because I've been, you know, I'd be, I'm very happy as well. A lot of my former like assistant directors are now directors of the other centers that we have. You know, they've grown, you know, with my mentoring and I feel that some of them will eventually replace my position as well and have that opportunity. So when the time comes, I feel like this is more of a mid-term goal for me to take another PhD. And this mm -hmm. time, it's really early childhood. I think uh, I'm, I'm, I'm at the point of my career that I want to ex uh, probably extend my influence in terms of, as I've said, probably helping. I just don't know how. But I've started during the pandemic. No, I thought 
probably in the Philippines, it might be difficult for them to do those uh, uh, learning experiences from home. That's one thing I forgot to mention. During the pandemic, I was busy as well writing some uh, learning experiences from home that I was actually emailing to friends in the Philippines and US and other countries, those who didn't have the, the time to probably prepare that suddenly schools were shut. So I've done some, uh, you know, basic modules that I've emailed to more than, uh, I think, 100, probably around 120 or 150 in the emailing list. And I realized, you know, doing that, that I can help. I can still uh, provide something or probably uh, 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 share uh, my expertise in, a, in an informal way. I hope there would be other opportunities like that to begin with uh, together with my plan of taking PhD because you know those kind of experiences keep me moving forward as an educator and leader. My first ever publication was about service learning pedagogy. I'm a bit sad that that's one area that I really wanted when I was a very young, a very vibrant uh, academic because service learning pedagogy is, you know, you serve, you help community, but in doing so, your students from the university or whatever school it is are also benefiting. So there's like a two-way interaction relationship that in service there is learning, in learning there is service. And that was my first ever publication was about service learning pedagogy. And to be, I stopped working on it, you know, when I moved to uh, Australia. But probably in practice, I felt like it's still within me that this is my first ever publication. It should not remain in journals, no? Or just people citing it. How am I actually actualizing it? And I always encourage other, you know, uh, young academics, young educators to probably always combine that idea of service and learning. You have given us a lot of advice already throughout this interview, but if you have anything else that you want to share with our uh, listeners and viewers um, about um, about the pursuit of higher education overseas and uh, especially in your case translating that to practice uh, what would you say i always give this as an advice even with my former students back in the university to other i don't know to my colleagues to my staff members and even sometimes when i'm being interviewed with uh, platforms like this to give you a brief uh, background, when I was still uh, teaching in the university, even prior taking my PhD, uh, you'll find it funny that every time I uh, enter the class, I will always introduce myself, Lemuel Toledano, comma, and I will put PhD, but small, P, H, D, and then of course, that time I was in my early 20s, I started teaching in the university when I was 19. I was 19, no? So uh, my former students would ask, wow, sir, you have a, you're a doctor, you have a PhD? And I always say, in the future. But now there's something that I would like to claim, that I have a PhD. And for me, this PhD is far more important than any degree from a prestigious university. My PhD stands for P, passion, H, hard work, okay? And D, dedication and what everything you do whether it's research you know 
probably doing um, higher degrees or being a prolific practitioner, regardless of your expertise, your professional knowledge, your uh, background, do not forget that the fire within you, you should always have that passion. You need to continue to be hardworking. You might know a lot of things, but continue reading articles, continue attending conferences, continue uh, making yourself better by having like professional development. That's part of hard work. And dedication. You might have a particular uh, job description or in a PhD, some expectation. Go beyond it. Okay? You need to uh, make yourself dedicated to what you've signed up for, whether it's taking a higher degree or being in the workplace. It's not just a degree from a prestigious university uh, that makes one a PhD. What matters most is your passion, hard work, and dedication. And that's the advice that I can give to all your viewers. Thank you so much, Lam, for your time. I'm sure this is very valuable, especially for those who are thinking of doing their PhD overseas. And I'm, I'm sure you were able to understand the many twists and turns of your uh, the academic journey and the unexpected opportunities that come along the way and how you can take advantage of this opportunity in your career and in your life. Thank you so much, Dr. Lemel Soledano. Thanks so much, Dalia, Dr. Simanga. You know, I'm a very close and good friend of mine. It's an opportunity to help out as well. I know you have a lot of uh, good and societal endeavors, and I always salute you for all the things that you have achieved in the academe and in a practical sense. And as uh, the way I started this uh, interview, that's probably, that's why we are good friends, because we always know what balance is. Thank you for listening to this episode. Please consider leaving a comment or rating at iTunes or any of your preferred podcast hosting platforms. For details about upcoming episodes and how to support the Scholars Unbound project, visit daliasimangan.com slash scholarsunbound with the link in our show notes. 